Hong Kong is on the brink. Injuries, there were arrests. Beijing has described the pro-democracy protests as, quote, conduct close to terrorism. The central government would not sit on its hands and watch. Demonstrators have been taken to the streets with no signs of protests coming to a halt. It's a smaller group of people, but very intense. The violence is being ratcheted up. But protesters say it's all too little, too late. This uproar has resurrected long-standing conflicts between Hong Kong and China. Could Hong Kong be headed toward another Tiananmen Square? In this new podcast, we follow what's happening on the ground in Hong Kong and talk to experts who are looking ahead to what will happen next. I'm Andrew Schwartz with Jude Blanchett, the Freeman Chair in China Studies here at CSIS. This is Hong Kong on the Brink. I'm Bonnie Glazer, Director of the China Power Project at the Center for Strategic and International Studies. And I'm Jude Blanchett, Freeman Chair in China Studies here at CSIS. Today, we're doing a special joint recording of the Hong Kong on the Brink and the China Power podcast. In today's episode, we'll be discussing how the unfolding events in Hong Kong are impacting Taiwan's view of its relations with the mainland and what influence the unrest is having on Taiwan's own upcoming presidential elections in January 2020. So, Bunny, I wanted to start at the the beginning of this issue. I think we oftentimes think of the one country, two systems as being specifically a Hong Kong issue. But, of course, the origins of this date back to how, uh, under Deng Xiaoping, the CCP was thinking about its relations with, with Taiwan. I wonder if you could talk us through a little bit of that early history. Well, that's right. In January 1979, Deng Xiaoping put forward this concept of one country, two systems. And at that time, he said, as long as Taiwan returns to the embrace of the motherland, we will respect the realities of the system that exists on Taiwan. That is really where it all started. And then a few years later, I think it was 1982, the National People's Congress adopted a provision in the PRC Constitution. And they set up a special administrative region, and that provided the legal basis for one country two systems. Then there's this very important speech that was made by Jiang Zemin in 1995. It was called the Eight Point Proposal. And this was laying out the basis in which they envisioned that one country, two systems would be implemented in Taiwan and how they would ultimately be able to achieve peaceful reunification. And so 1997 comes along and we see the, the handover of Hong Kong from the United Kingdom to mainland China. It seemed that those of us watching this from the United States that at least the first 10 years or so after this handover that things are going fairly well. Beijing is living up to its 50-year promise. How was Taiwan looking at this period after the handover? We'll talk in a minute about the unrest that starts around 2014. But in this period leading up to 2014, after 1997, what was the perspective from Taiwan? Well, I think people in Taiwan and the government in Taiwan observed the handover very similarly to the way governments did all over the world. In other words, Taiwan didn't see this as anything that applied to their own situation. The people of Taiwan never accepted that they would face a future that would be anything like Hong Kong. After all, Hong Kong was never self-ruled, never elected its own president. And so Taiwan always has seen itself as an independent sovereign state. And the people have not identified with Hong Kong. They have had their own freedoms in Taiwan. They choose their own government. Mm. If you go back and look at 
public opinion polls in Taiwan, you will find that the percentage of people who opposed one country, two systems for Taiwan in 2005 mm. is about the same as it mm. is today. Since the Hong Kong protests have started, mm. there's been a bit of an mm. uptick. But in 2005, there was a poll that was done by Taiwan's Mainland Affairs Council that found that over 78% opposed one country, two systems in Taiwan. And so my guess is that the perception that China's reneging on its promises to Hong Kong mm. has just sort of confirmed that mm. view. But it's been there all along. Right. So fast forwarding to earlier this summer, we've got the beginning of the presidential race in Taiwan. And I wonder if you could just help us level set before events really start to kick off in Hong Kong starting in June. Where did things stand in April, May of this year? And and we, we've got on the DPP, we've got President Tsai Ing-wen. And then for simplicity's sake, we'll look at the KMT candidate. But if we were just talking about it as a two-way race, how did things look in, let's say, May of this year? Well, first, I'm going to take you back a little bit further to the end of 2018 in uh, November Taiwan had its uh, local elections. And that was really important because the DPP just really got clobbered. These were sort of mayoral, local elections, municipalities, and President Tsai Ing-wen's polling rate at that point was somewhere hovering around 24%. Mm. It was really quite low. And then in early January, Xi Jinping gave a speech. It was January 2nd. His first comprehensive speech on policy toward Taiwan. And I think the most significant part of that speech was that he reached out to those in Taiwan who were like-minded, who would support a better relationship Intent. with mainland <laughs> China, and said, we would like basically to talk with them about a Taiwan version of one country, two systems. Mm. And then we saw Tsai Ing-wen come out and very harshly criticize Xi Jinping after that speech. And her poll numbers began mm. to rise. And so even before the protests started in Hong Kong, we saw that mm. Tsai Ing-wen's poll ratings uh, had moved. So I think it was through the end of May, virtually every poll that was pitting Tsai Ing-wen against the person who is now the KMT candidate, Han Guoyu, had Han ahead of Tsai Ing-wen mm. by about 15 points. And this was every single poll. And then all of a sudden, early June. So sticking with, you know, just in that May period, what are the primary campaign issues at that time? What are they looking at? So obviously, Han Guoyu is certainly talking about a, economic prosperity as being a big issue, is criticizing President Tsai for inability to, to deliver economic goods. Relationship with mainland China is an important component of this. But Hong Kong is nowhere on the agenda at this point, correct? Even with uh, Xi Jinping's speech and talking about one country, two system, we don't have Hong Kong entering into the political discussion at all, correct? Correct. Okay. Um, and President Tsai was really talking about her, her experience because she has been leading the government, that she can defend the Taiwan and, it, and its sovereignty. That becomes more right, prominent right, after Hong right. Kong. But still, okay. in the face of this pressure from Xi Jinping and his speech, this is the issue in which she can get a lot of right. support from people. So she's talking about security, and Han Guoyu is mostly talking about economy. Right. And when uh, he visited in February, Han Guoyu went to Hong Kong, to Macau, right. and to Shenzhen. 
And so he met these leaders in all places. And in Shenzhen, he actually met the head of the Taiwan Affairs Office from China, Liu Jiei, and he was ostensibly trying to sell Kaohsiung's agricultural right. products. Kaohsiung being the city where he was the mayor. Yes, right, he okay. was. He was the mayor in, and still is in, in Kaohsiung. So he was not talking about really anything but economic issues at that point. Now, of course, the Taiwan and, and Hong Kong did have a linkage in terms of this recent unrest because the proximate cause for the protest that began in Hong Kong in June was this extradition bill, which was introduced in February when a Hong Kong citizen, while in Taiwan, murdered his girlfriend and then fled back to Hong Kong. Hong Kong having no extradition agreement uh, with Taiwan, the Taiwanese authorities were unable to, to have this person sent back. But we have these protests which begin in June in Hong Kong against the extradition bill. I wonder if you can talk to me about when did this begin to enter into the political discussion in Taiwan? When did we start to see this show up as either a campaign issue or, or in the polls? Or when did we see either candidate begin to address this more prominently? As approximately one million people in Hong Kong took to the streets to protest the extradition bill, which was on June 9th, this mayor of Kaohsiung, Han Guoyu, and at that time now KMT presidential candidate, he told reporters he didn't know anything about the parade taking place in Hong Kong. And he was heavily criticized on social media. So the Kaohsiung city government really tried to repair the damage. They issued a statement that said that the vast majority of people in Taiwan believe that this one country, two systems framework that's been implemented in Hong Kong isn't applicable to Taiwan. But this had harmed Han Guoyu, and he knew that he had to do more. So he conducted a rally in Kaohsiung, um, I think it was a few weeks later, where he publicly said that there will never be an implementation of one country, two systems in Taiwan when he is president. Mm. And he said that all in Chinese, or maybe it was even Taiwanese, mm. I can't remember. And then he said in English, over my dead body. Mm. So he was really trying to inoculate himself to say, I am not one who is going to push one country, two systems here. But Tsai Ing-wen, going back again to the January 2nd speech that had been um, made by Xi Jinping, she at that time very cleverly connected the one country, two systems formula with the 1992 consensus. So this was the understanding that had been reached by the Chinese Communist Party and the KMT back in 1992, that they should have dialogue. So this was the agreement in 1992, when the Chinese Communist Party and the KMT decided that they should start some dialogue, but they couldn't have a complete understanding of what they should call each other, what their status was, because they didn't recognize each other's sovereignty, of course. And so it became an understanding that both sides of the strait are part of one China, but they would disagree on what to call that one China. Taiwan called it their formal name, the Republic of China. And of course, China called it the People's Republic of China. But the preference by the Chinese side was, let's just not emphasize mm. 
what the name is going to be. But every president from Taiwan has come out at some point and said, you know, we are the Republic of China. So Tsai Ing-wen, after Xi Jinping's speech, essentially said, they're the same thing. One country, one system since 1992, consensus. And Mm. the KMT Mm. is really supporting Beijing's one country, two systems when it says it supports 1992 consensus. Well, this has made some trouble for Han Guoyu, who from the time that he went to uh, Hong Kong, Macau, and Shenzhen, he endorsed the 1992 consensus. Mm. And the party's position is still in favor of the Mm. 1992 consensus. So he has stuck with that, even though he has condemned one country, two systems. He's tried to distinguish between the two. But I think that Tsai has actually been fairly successful in conveying that message in Taiwan that there really isn't a significant difference. And what sort of statements was President Tsai making publicly on the protests as they're as they're unfolding this summer? I know that you just mentioned the the over my dead body and uh, the discussion of the quote unquote parade coming from Hangulu. It's my recollection that President Tsai was coming out pretty strongly in support of the Hong Kong protesters. I know she'd had Joshua Wong visit Taiwan. So obviously the politics for her of more open support for the Hong Kong protesters is good politics. Am I getting that right? She has really capitalized on this issue to gain support, uh, to portray Han Guoyu as somebody who might not defend Taiwan's sovereignty um, as strongly as she would. And she has often been a president who has been cautious and slow to make decisions, has actually been rather remarkable at how quickly she came out, both after Xi Jinping's speech and after the beginning of the Hong Kong protests. So after the first major protest in Hong Kong, she issued a statement. It was actually on Twitter. And she said, we stand with the freedom-loving people of Hong Kong. And she noted that their struggle was a reminder of Taiwan's hard-earned democracy, which has to be protected. It has to be renewed by every generation. And she said, like Han Guoyu, but probably more convincingly, that as long as she is president, one country, two systems would never be an option. And she has repeated that message over and over again. She has told the people of Taiwan that she would never allow Taiwan to become another Hong Kong. And so now, if we can look at the polling, this seems to have really had a a turnaround effect on the election. I remember sort of early May polling where she was, you know, consistently in, in pro-blue or pro-green polls. She was still behind uh, Hang Yu. And now end of the summer and beginning of the fall, it's a pretty it's a pretty significant turnaround. Can we say this is really just about the Hong Kong issue? Or are there other issues that are going on that are helping to, to boost her campaign? Well, I think that the Hong Kong issue is probably the most significant. Okay. It may also be some good economic data, but I think that actually Tsai Ing-wen hasn't been very effective at telling the story, Mm. that she has pursued some policies that have helped Taiwan's economy, and that's where Han Guoyu has really tried to attack her. But during the first five months of 2019 this year, Tsai Ing-wen was just every single poll. She was behind. And Han Guoyu's biggest lead was in this My Formosa poll, which was in February, 25 percentage points ahead of Tsai. And then this completely flipped. June, it was a bit uneven. Some of the polls had her ahead, some had Han Guoyu ahead. Since the end of June, there has not been a single poll in which Han Guoyu was ahead. And some of the polls today 
uh, have Tsai Ing-wen ahead between 10 and 20 percentage points. So it's really quite significant. Now, you could argue she had a successful visit to the United States. Mm. The U.S. made some arms sales to Taiwan. But frankly, I think that's almost an outsider's point of view. Mm. I think that people in Taiwan don't pay that much attention mm. when she travels abroad and whether her transit was better than, you know, Ma Yingzhou's or Chen Shui-bian's transits. I think Hong Kong has really captured the attention of people in Taiwan. They are quite worried about the potential for mm. Taiwan to face a future of uncertainty mm. if they elect a leader that might want to improve relations yeah. with China. And this is fascinating because in 2014, when the Sunflower move Movement took place in Taiwan, there was this backlash against Ma Yingzhou's negotiation of a trade and services agreement with mainland China. It was pushed through the legislative UN, and, and so people got upset that there was not adequate discussion and consensus, and the KMG just rammed it right through, and they tried to occupy the legislature, and they took to the streets. And then that was a period where some people in Taiwan really for a long time had wanted to have good relations with mainland China. They saw those economic ties as beneficial, and that was the turning point right there in the Sunflower Movement. And so now you see that sort of coming back where I think Han Guoyu would have had the potential and probably did before Hong Kong started saying, you know, Taiwan's economic future is at stake. We need to have better right, ties right. with the mainland. We don't have to have better political relations, right. but we must have more economic interaction. And I think that was resonating with people. And that's why he was ahead in the polls. And so now we're back to where we were, right. um, maybe where even during the Sunflower Movement, where people are skeptical, again, of too much dependence mm. on mainland China and worried about what that could mean for Taiwan's future. So I want to ask about the more immediate impacts of the Hong Kong uh, issue on Taiwanese politics. So imagine it's January 12th, President Tsai is reelected. What role will we see this this Hong Kong issue be playing in domestic politics? Now, of course, we don't know where the Hong Kong issue will be in January, but let's um, let's imagine you know we still have this continuing slow burn of unrest there. How does President Tsai talk about Hong Kong? How does she utilize the issue of Hong Kong? Well. I do think to some extent this is an election issue for Tsai Ing-wen. Uh, she might continue to talk about it. Um, you know, We haven't discussed the legislative UN elections, which will be concomitant with the presidential elections. And right now it looks like there might not be a majority in the LY. And so that will have some consequences for how they pass legislation, whether coalitions can be forged. And Hong Kong actually you know, could be an issue that could bring together some of these liberal-leaning, deep green parties mm. that exist, but it's going to be issue-dependent. They might cooperate with the DPP on some issues like the New Power Party or break from the DPP, depending um, on the issues. But my guess is, and again, it is dependent on what's happening in Hong Kong, but there will be some specific issues that will continue to be discussed uh, in Taiwan. One is there's been a push for a Refugee Act to enable... Hong Kong citizens and protesters uh, to come to Taiwan. So far, the DPP government has insisted that Taiwan's legal system already can adequately handle issues that pertain to um, asylum seekers. And I think one of the reasons they've done that is they don't want to cause 
too much friction with uh, mainland China, and they also don't want to cause problems during the election by having too much focus on this issue. But there might be more of a push afterwards domestically if there are people in Hong Kong who really do want to come out mm-hmm. and live in Taiwan. Now they can they can stay there, but they they can't get some like resident permanent residency status to enable them to get uh, jobs, for example. Um, so that's a sort of domestic issue mm-hmm. that could uh, that could come up in Taiwan. But I doubt that this right. will be seen as an existential issue for Taiwan. Right. My sense and experience is that people in Taiwan tend to be fairly parochial. They focus on their own issues that are going on inside Taiwan. And unless there is some reason to connect what's going on in Hong Kong with Taiwan, if Xi Jinping somehow connected it, then it would become explosive. But I actually expect that this will become less relevant after the elections. Even less relevant as a more immediate issue, what are the longer-term implications of of this? You hear a common refrain when you talk to people from Hong Kong is they say, Hong Kong will never be the same again, that our relations with the mainland have undergone a a paradigm shift. I wonder how you're seeing this from Taiwan's point of view. Does this forever change how the KMT has to talk about, you know, how close it wants to get with Beijing? Does this forever change how Beijing needs to talk about its hoped-for goal one day of reunification? Well, to reiterate, since Taiwan never really embraced one country, two systems, uh, the KMT is not going to do that. I don't think that the KMT in the short run will give up the 1992 consensus. I think they will continue to try to distinguish that from one country, Mm -hmm. two systems. The one issue that the KMT uh, believes very strongly in is dialogue with mainland China. Now, the DPP also would like dialogue, but of course, in its terms. And the KMT, if it were to get reelected, and it may not be in January 2020, it may be four years from now, if they get reelected, I think they are still going to want dialogue with mainland China. But the KMT is going to have to, I think, rethink what its approach to China is when it talks about its vision, Mm. its long-term vision. Is it just preservation of the status quo. Mm. I've heard some KMT former uh, officials who worked in the Myingjiao era who have said exactly that. They should should preserve the status quo. And so I've said, so then what's the difference between KMT policy and DPP policy? And the difference is just dialogue. But I think increasingly we'll see that the KMT just wants to manage the cross-strait relationship. It's a different way of managing that relationship than the DPP. But I don't think they're going to be pushing for political talks or a Mm. peace treaty, which former President Ma Yingzhou did Mm. talk about when he came to power in 2008, 2009. I don't think we're going to see a KMT leader in the future talk Mm. about those issues. But the even more significant long-term impact, I think, is Beijing's policy. If it is really proven that one country, two systems has failed in Hong Kong, then China has to ask itself, is one country, two systems feasible ever in Taiwan? And we know what Taiwan's answer to that, but we don't know what Beijing's answer to that is. And if they conclude that their policy of pursuing peaceful development across the strait, ultimately peaceful reunification, if that has failed, if that can never work, then they have to rethink that policy. 
And my guess is that under Xi Jinping, they don't go in a more moderate direction. They actually go in a tougher direction. Does that mean use of force? Not necessarily. There could be people in China who would push for use of force. I think Xi Jinping has a lot on his plate. He has the trade war and the overall relationship and rivalry with the United States. He has the slowdown in China's economy. Then they'll be facing demographic problems. So there's all sorts of issues that he faces. And I doubt that he wants to put Taiwan at the forefront of his agenda. But we could see a a serious rethink in China about what their policy should be going forward toward Taiwan. Certainly could see a lot more diplomatic, political, and military pressure. Well, Bonnie, I want to thank you very, very much for your insights on this fascinating topic. Thank you. Thank you, Jude. If you enjoyed this podcast, check out our larger suite of CSIS podcasts. From Into Africa, The Asia Chessboard, China Power, AIDS 2020, The Trade Guys, Smart Women, Smart Power, and more. You can listen to them all on major streaming platforms like iTunes and Spotify. Visit csis.org podcasts to see our full catalog 